I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. According to the sage Wikipedia, colonialism is the policy of a country seeking to extend its authority over other people or territories, generally with the aim of economic dominance. These United States, as I was reminded uh, when overhearing my 12-year-old do his virtual school this week, began as a colonial expansion of the Kingdom of England. Uh, the East Coast was literally the colonies, with residents referred to as the colonists. Differently, but relatedly, I've heard that one of Elon Musk's goals with all his wealth is to establish a colony on Mars. At present, there are no humans, no, nor any human dwellings on Mars, and should SpaceX ever achieve this feat, this would be an instance of someone extending its authority over some territory, the territory of the Red Planet. And in addition to our history and astronomy lessons, we have all become junior epidemiologists in this pandemic. So we should know that getting infected with a virus is also an instance of colonization. COVID-19, for instance, seeks to extend its dominion, its authority, over our lungs and other organs with the aim of biological dominance. Colonization comes and occurs in many shapes and forms. And colonization also occurs in the world of ideas. Ideas are a powerful and hugely significant component of our human experience. Everything that we do, all the choices we make, all the feelings we have in some fashion are a result of or occur within our ideas. When ideas get grouped together, or lumped together, and they get, get amalgamated together into some kind of cohesive whole, we end up with a comprehensive way of viewing the world. And Christianity, I take it, is one such way of looking at the world. It contains a particular grouping of ideas a particular grouping of many ideas, a grouping of some of the most fundamental and foundational ideas that we have about some of the most fundamental and foundational things in the universe. Christianity is not just ideas, but includes many hugely significant ideas, things like, what is a human being? Is there a God, and what does this God want? Why are we human beings here? How do human beings flourish? And if they're not flourishing... Why is that, and how do we get to a state of flourishing? I think the ideas that compose Christianity have, in fact, not just arisen from humans themselves, but, in fact, are ideas that God has given to us human beings. And God has given us these various ideas by means of his creation of the world, by means of his word written in scripture, and most fully and clearly by means of God's word made flesh. Jesus Christ, who quite literally is God as a human being. And Christianity is a large group of ideas. It contains a large grouping of ideas, centering on the kinds of things that we confess in the Nicene Creed week in and week out, like the divinity of Christ, or the triune nature of God, or the creation of the world by God, or the Spirit's inspiration of Scripture. And this, this large grouping of ideas includes lots of subgroupings of ideas as well. 
some think that the Christian grouping includes uh, the supreme authority of the Bishop of Rome. Some Christians think that this grouping includes uh, uh, the idea that, uh, that baptism is for people of a certain age. Some Christians within this grouping, some subgroups think that uh, the idea that the bread of the Eucharist is the body of Christ. I think that. I'm one of those Christians. These and many more ideas get grouped into subgroups within the Christian idea group. And, and oftentimes, it seems as though one's, one's chronological or geographical location influences what ideas one thinks are in the idea group, or more important, or, or what have you. Although there are remarkable similarities between the groups of ideas found within the subgroups of Christians from 4th century Alexandria, 12th century Paris, 16th century Geneva, and 21st century Wheaton, there's no doubt that the particular amalgamations found in each location will have their own unique features as well. And so there are a variety of different ways of holding on to and believing the ideas given by God that are grouped together in Christianity. However, Christianity, just like any grouping of ideas, has been susceptible to colonization. Other ideas, other groupings of ideas, ideas not from God, but from other sources, have at times infiltrated and colonized various versions of Christianity. A certain segment of contemporary American Christianity has had their amalgamation of ideas about Christianity colonized. The infrastructure of their ideas about God, humans, and the world have been infiltrated by other ideas, ideas drawn not from God's own communication, but from external sources. Whether these sources are political or philosophical or pagan or demonic, what, what this results in is a colonized version of Christianity that maintains some of the, the vestiges of Christianity, but like other entities that have been colonized, ends up simply a conquered territory. There are many ways to contrast colonized ideas about Christianity with God-given ideas about Christianity. And our commemoration of the baptism of Christ and the readings accompanying this feast allows us at least one comparison. I'm sure you know the scene of Jesus' baptism well. We just heard it today from Mark's account. As Mark describes it, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Our Old Testament reading this morning, however, comes from Isaiah 42, which you can see in your bulletin or on the service um, order of service. Isaiah 42 provides a prophecy regarding the Messiah who was to come. The Messiah who we all know was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We read it today on the Feast of the Baptism of Christ, specifically for verse 1, where God says that he will put his spirit on his chosen servant. And this motif is clearly picked up in the baptism narratives, not just in Mark, but in the other Gospels, and then even in Peter's retelling of Jesus' baptism, which was found in our reading from Acts today. As Peter puts it in Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
So verse 1 from Isaiah 42 gives us a connection to Christ's baptism. Jesus is the chosen servant on whom the Spirit of God has come. But verse 1 goes on. I have put my Spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Justice to the nations. I double-checked that. That is a plural noun, in fact. This prophecy clearly indicates that the anointed servant of God will not just be for one nation— but indeed for many nations, with the implication, I think, being that all nations will be the subject of God's just rule. In fact, verse 4 corroborates this idea. Verse 4, he, the chosen servant, will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. This, this, I think, is not a nationalistic policy that God is outlining here. It is a justice for the whole earth policy. Jesus was to be the chosen one for not just one nation, but for all nations. The justice that God seeks to establish through his anointed one will not just be for one nation, and not even first for one nation, but will in fact be for all nations. And so a version of Christianity that has the idea America first at its core has been infiltrated by some external source. It's been colonized by some non-Christian idea. Say what you will about America first being good economic policy or good political policy. It's not good theological policy. The true Christian justice policy knows no national boundaries. Jesus Christ is bringing justice for all the peoples in all the nations in all the earth. And in fact, this anti-nationalism theme is highlighted within the context of Peter's description of Jesus' baptism in Acts 10. If you recall, one of the big conundrums of the early church that we see in Acts had to do with ethnic and national identity. Here was Jesus, a Jew, fulfilling the prophecies of the Jewish Messiah, whose earliest followers were all Jews. And yet, early in Acts, there had been some followers of Jesus who were not Jews, What's to be done with them? Do these non-Jew followers of Jesus have to become Jews in order to properly follow Jesus? What had been ignored or forgotten by many of the Jewish contemporaries was that prophecies like Isaiah 42 and even the Abrahamic covenant communicated that God's blessing would extend beyond Israel, beyond the Jews, to the whole world. And the recollection of God's embrace of not just one nation, but all nations, forms one of the key plot lines of Acts, as well as an important theme in Paul's letters. And here in Acts, if you, if you recall, the context of Acts 10, Peter had been puzzling over how these non-Jews were to be part of this new thing that God seemed to be doing through Jesus Christ. And Peter gets a vision from God of all these animals that were unclean to eat by Jewish standards, but God told him to eat them. And God told him that what God had made was uh, now clean for those who were following Jesus. And then Peter meets this Cornelius guy earlier in Acts 10, a non-Jew who himself had a vision to send for a man named Peter. And Peter says in verse 28 of Acts 10 that it would have been unlawful for him, a Jew, to meet with Cornelius, a non-Jew. In fact, Peter says that he couldn't, quote, visit anyone of another nation. But 
Peter goes on, Acts 28, 10.28, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter had, as part of his ideas about God and humans, part of the grouping of his ideas, a rather narrow nationalistic perspective on who God wanted to have a relationship with. It was Jew first and Jew only in Peter's mind initially. But this idea was wrong. It was not from God. It was an idea from outside that had infiltrated Peter's thinking. And for Peter, it took God specifically communicating to him, both through this vision and through his interaction with Cornelius, for Peter to come to have the correct view that Jesus was for everyone. Jesus was for all the nations. God removes the colonized ideas from Peter's mind, and then picking up from what we read today in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no partiality. That is, God shows no national partiality, no partiality to any one nation. And if Peter realizes that not even Israel is prioritized, then surely we should realize that no other country is prioritized either. Colonized Christianity is about America first or America only. And even then, it's a very narrow conception of what America is, was, or ought to be. But God shows that no national partiality is the correct idea. Jesus is for all the nations, and the justice brought by him is for all people. But if colonized Christianity is Christianity infiltrated by ideas that are not from God, I think we need a therapeutic, a a treatment, even a vaccine against this colonization. And if the colonization of ideas not from God, the treatment must certainly be ideas from God. As I stated earlier, God has graciously given us ideas about himself in creation, in scripture, and in Jesus Christ himself. It might sound a little simplistic or cliche, but may I just commend a renewed immersion in scripture as a means of warding off colonization. Scripture is God's own communication, ideas direct from God to us humans. And saturating our minds with God's ideas is a powerful defense against the infiltration of would-be colonizing ideas. Now, there are a number of ways to get this vaccine. It's pretty easy to get. For instance, I think one of the greatest gifts of our Anglican tradition is the daily office, the the morning and evening prayer services. These include a well-rounded and healthy diet of scripture. And these days, it's so easy to pull up the readings on your phone or your computer or on, on your tablet, as the case may be. We have a link right off the main page of our website where you can go to a wonderful site, dailyoffice2019.com. It's very user-friendly and customizable. Moreover, we have Bible studies starting up here at All Souls even, or you can even just gather some fellow parishioners for a a Zoom or a a backyard fire pit Bible study. Or further, many of you picked up the the, the book in the fall, The Common Rule, that we were were talking about together. You'll notice there that Daily Habit 4 was Scripture Before Phone. 
Now, I'm convinced that a major weapon assisting the present colonization of the American Christian mind is the immediate access we have to the Internet. You can insert a plug here for the Social Dilemma movie. But the scripture before phone, Daily Habit, helps to defend against a tactic used by would-be colonizers to infiltrate our ideas about God and the world. The best way to ward off colonization of our own ideas about Christianity is for the vaccine of God's own ideas to saturate our thinking. But if I might just add this coda, I think as junior epidemiologists, we all know that a vaccine helps not just the one who gets it, but others as well. Viruses that cannot get a foothold in a host cannot colonize. As scripture provides the conceptual vaccine for us, I think we need to redouble our efforts to share this with others. It would simply be another instance of colonization if I were to, if I were to smugly think, well, I'm sure glad I'm not one of those Christians. No, the justice that Jesus brings is for all the nations including this nation. And it's incumbent upon me to continue to patiently, winsomely, and lovingly bring this good news to all people, even to those who think they already have it. Amen.